One night I had a dream. I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. And across the sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints. One belonged to me and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that many times along the path of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of my life. This really bothered me and I questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the way, but I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why in times when I needed you most, you should leave me. The Lord replied, my precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. There will always be dark nights. There will always be those moments when we have to cry out, Jesus, take the wheel. The dark nights are there except for one thing that must be done. Jesus today will teach us that one thing. John 13, act one, footprints in the hand. It was just before the Passover feast Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And you have to stop there for a moment. You have to look at that phrase, he now showed them the full extent of his love. He had shown them many Things And they had been with him for a long time. But now today is like commencement. It's like a graduation of sorts. He's going to show them the fullness of all things, the fullness of his love. He's going to teach them something that's so important that they will build the rest of their lives on this concept. They will take what they are about to learn. And in the moments of great darkness, it will always bring light. In the moments of struggle, it will always open a way. In the moments of heartache, it will always bring a, a small measure of peace that is a hint that there's something more, that there's something bigger, that you don't have to be afraid in this world, that you can truly be fearless. He now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot. The word there means to, to throw to. It's as if he threw him the ball. You have the ball now, Judas. It's all in your hands. Here it is. Heads up. It's all in your hands. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. The two big realities where we are and where he is. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped 
around him. And so he's washing feet and drying feet and washing feet and drying feet. And then he comes to Peter. He came to Simon Peter. Now Simon Peter has been, been watching everything. And Simon Peter says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? It's, it's, it's almost if it's so incomprehensible to him. He cannot fathom what is about to take place because he, he knows this, this turns everything upside down. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. And you have to stop there. You have to look at that phrase. You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. And that's a basic principle of the Christian life. If you are to follow him and to follow him well and to follow him in the ways that he has outlined for you, he will teach you things that for that moment you will not understand. You will go through experiences that in that time you will not understand. There will be circumstances that that swirl around you that you will not understand, but he is teaching you something in all those things for a future time. You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. I was sharing that this week with our staff and with the elders. Uh, I had received something uh, from the book, My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. And he talked about how there are times in our lives when we're going through things and we go, this isn't for me and that can't be the way I'm supposed to go. And why is this happening? He said, everything that happens is for a purpose. It's kind of like Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so he said, you'll you'll have those times, you'll resist those times, but God will allow those times and experiences. And then one day he says, you will have a moment of illumination. And it's, it's it's in that moment of illumination that everything comes together so fast. And you go, that's why God gave that to me. That's why that happened to me. That's why I had to learn that lesson because I needed it for a future moment. And that's a principle that you must embrace in order to live this faith in order to bring faith and life together. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless we go this way, Peter, it's over. You're off the team. This is about what I'm doing. It's not about what you're doing. And as as often was the case with Peter, he had to kind of realign his thinking. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I'm all in. I have nowhere else to go. I have no one else I want to give my life to. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. Ever the teacher, this is the moment, this is the moment when the lesson turns, this is the moment when we have to understand what I just did and where that is going to take you. Ever the instructor, ever the professor, do you understand, ever the rabbi, what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. You know that, 
and I know that. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Previously, when Jesus did parables, there were stories. It's stories about a a farmer went out to sow some seeds, stories about a a son who comes home after he runs away from his father, stories about birds and trees and stories about mustard seeds and stories about sheep. But now, Jesus himself is the parable. Today, Jesus himself is the story. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He now showed them the full extent of his love. You will be blessed if you do them. There's something to do. There's something that you have to to go out and do. What does that mean? This is what I call the principle of reverse serving. Things get turned upside down. The person at the top is the person at the bottom. The person who thinks that they deserve to be served is the person that now becomes the servant. The person at the table now becomes the waiter. The person who who feels that they have power and authority and, and the person who's been around and they've got seniority now becomes the one who's new, the freshman, the one who goes and runs and gets whatever is needed at command. Doesn't make sense, but this is the fulfillment of the full extent of his love. This is Jesus instructing us that reverse serving is the only way our lives are ever going to work. There's a show on TV, and I try to catch it whenever I can. It's called Undercover Boss. Undercover Boss, a great show. It's the CEO of the company. Whoever he is, whoever she is, they, they disguise themselves and they go out and now they're the, uh, they're the guy that sits in the seat next to the guy who's driving the truck. They're the person in the warehouse who has to, to keep things moving along a conveyor belt. They're the person who has to clean the bathroom. They're the person who has to do customer service. They go from the corner office and the, the biggest paycheck in the company to I'm going to punch a clock and go out every day with everybody who does whatever it takes to make this company successful. And there is a transformation that takes place every single time in this reverse serving, in this turning upside down of the system. And every time you get to the end of the show, there are tears because of the reverse serving. The boss is in tears, the employees are in tears. The boss understands now what it, what it means for a single parent mom to be struggling at her level of salary to get her kid through college. And suddenly the college tuition is paid. The boss realizes what it's like for this couple who has a a child who who has an illness and there are a lot of medical bills and how they're really struggling because of that. And he comes alongside of them. He takes care of their medical needs. And there's this huge transformation because of of reverse serving. And it's only in reverse serving that you'll ever understand who you are as a Christian. It's so easy for Christianity to deteriorate to just make me feel better. It's easy in our culture to do that. It's so easy for Christianity to deteriorate to, uh, what am I going to get out of this today? But Jesus says, let me show you the full extent of how I love you. And after I've shown you that, 
Let me ask you a question. What, is, what do you think this means? It means that now you are supposed to do what I just did. In reverse serving, you will find yourself. In reverse serving, you will find your heart and your life and your whole experience of Christianity, your whole experience of faith will be different than it ever was before. So let me ask you this question today. Who do you reverse serve? When's the last time you thought about reverse serving. In parenting, uh, we have to reverse serve a lot. And it's counterintuitive. We think our kids are coming along and, and they, they, we want them to, to think like we think. We want them to do the things we want them to do. They are there to serve our, uh, our family system. They're there to serve our, our, uh, the way that we, we want our family to, to appear to society. Uh, they are servants of something that's much bigger that we are in charge of as parents. But your children will never understand their, their lives and they'll never understand Jesus unless they see you reverse serve them. Today my son is preaching in Williamsburg. So it's what I call a, a double Simone Virginia Sunday. Uh, happens every once in a while. It just kind of happens that way. But I remember him when he was just 10 and he was nine and he was, he just didn't have it together. He just couldn't get there. And, and I remember this one day he's, he's sitting on the steps in our home and he's crying because he hasn't done what I asked him to do. It was some chore or something that he just was supposed to accomplish and he, he just didn't get it done. So he just deteriorated to tears. And kids are so different. You have one kid that you look at them and they just cry. They weep and they cry. You have another kid that just pulls out the big bazooka and says, you want me? Come get me. You know, it's just this kid's the way kids are. So I got one of both. So Travis was the crier. So uh, he's on the steps and he's crying. And, and I thought, you know, Travis, and I said this to him, right now I have to decide what's going to happen and you know that I have to make a decision about the fact that you didn't do what I asked you to do. And he was crying, saying, yeah, I know. You know. He was agreeing with the fact that there must be a punishment that was equivalent to his disobedience. I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive you. And we're just going to let this one go. And we both walked away that day in a reverse serve that really made a huge impact on both of our lives. I let go of power and authority. And suddenly he realized he was being served by the one that he thought he was supposed to be serving. And it just, it moves things. It moves things in, in hearts and souls and minds. It makes all the difference. Where do you reverse serve? Where do you do it in your family? Where do you do it in, in your place of employment? Where do you let God speak reverse serving into your life? Act two, dark night. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And all throughout the Gospel of John, he says that line, I am telling you now, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going 
to betray me. And so he puts it all out on the table and he pulls back the curtain and he says, this is what's going to happen now. His disciples stared at one another. They're, they're, they're just unable to even comprehend one smidgen of what he's talking about. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. We've been together. We're a team. We've been following you. We've listened to you. We've learned. We've committed ourselves to you. How can that be? One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that scholars will, will often tell us was John, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Now, why Peter didn't ask himself, I'm not sure. And what kind of emotion did he give? I don't know. Was it this, 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 this? I don't know. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And he was looking right into his eyes, I'm sure. Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. Remember I said Satan had sort of thrown it to him? Here it is. You got it. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. What you are going to do, do quickly. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast. What you're going to do, do quickly. Go buy the food. Or to give something to the poor. What you're going to do, go outside and help the people who need help. They didn't understand. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. Chuck Colson paints a picture in... The sky is not falling of a dark night. In 1978, a 59-year-old bearded man, older than his years because of his imprisonment, spoke clearly and forcefully at Harvard's 327th commencement. At first, there were bursts of applause punctuated, punctuating his translated speech from Russian to English. But then there was silence as Alexander Solzhenitsyn's words tore ripped into the fabric of the American me culture in the late 1970s. Describing the Western worldview as rationalistic humanism, he pointed to the loss of our concept of a supreme entity, which used to restrain our passions and our irresponsibility. Man has become the master of this world who bears no evil within himself, he declared. So all the defects of life are connected to wrong social systems. Well, it's our educational system. That's the problem. It's our political system. That's the problem. It's corruption in sports. That's the problem. It's greed in the financial arenas. That's, that's the problem. And it's really none of those problems at all. In all those areas, you find human beings. Could that be a clue? Maybe the most poignant criticism that day was his observation that we had lost our civic courage. He stated, with unlimited freedom on the choice of pleasures, why should anyone risk his or her life defending the common good at home or in another country? When I can have whatever I want, whenever I want to make me feel good, why do I have to worry about anyone else? Colson comments over three decades later, today it is painfully clear that Solzhenitsyn's prophecies of America's cultural disintegration are coming to pass. What Solzhenitsyn and Colson are pointing to is a dark night. 
a dark night that comes along because of self-interest and controlling behaviors that turn the lights out when threatened by the truth. Open the paper, look today at the front page. There's a dark night in State College, Pennsylvania for exactly those reasons too. There's a dark night creeping across Europe for exactly those reasons too. There are dark nights all around us and it's not the social structure that's a problem. There will always be dark nights except for one thing that must be done. Jesus will teach us that one thing. Act three. Quia amasti me fasisti me amabalem. In loving me, you made me lovable. When he was gone, when Judas was gone, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. And this is a very strange turning of events because now the button is pushed, the lever is thrown, it's all going down. There will be an arrest, there will be a mock trial, and he will be put to death. He will be crucified for no good earthly reason, really. And in that, when everything is going the way it didn't seem it should go, but the way that God knew it had to go with the pain and the suffering and the darkness, he said, this is it. Now I'm glorified and God is glorified. He's about to teach something very profound. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. And then he presents the truth, the radical truth upon which we can build everything in our lives. A new command I give you, and their minds race back to the 613 commandments and to the 10 commandments and to all the commandments that they were supposed to somehow keep in order to be right with God. And he says, no, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's a part of this they can't understand yet. After the cross, they will understand it fully. This is what changes everything. This changes life. It changes work. It changes sports. It changes government. It changes education. It changes families. It changes marriages. It changes friendships. It changes it all. When we love one another as he loved us, everything works because everything is delineated in life by this kind of love. You see, love one another means doing whatever is necessary to honor someone, whether it's in, whenever it's in your power to honor them. Love one another means doing whatever is necessary to honor someone whenever it's in your power to honor them. It's the litmus test that there is a God to know and follow. A new command I give you, that you should build great cathedrals and they should be magnificent. 
those are good in their time and place, but that wasn't the commandment. A new commandment I give you, that you should do amazing, incredible concerts and invite people to gigantic programs where they'll, they'll, they'll hear about me. Well, you know, those are good things too in their time and place, but that wasn't the new commandment. You see, the world, if we're honest with each other, thinks this is all smoke and mirrors, my friends. You know that. And I know that. Smoke and mirrors, religious smoke and mirrors. Go say your prayers, go to church, go do this, go do that. Talk about it, talk about it, talk, talk, talk. Lots of talking about it going on. But we're not seeing a whole lot of action that makes us think you're really any different than we are. But that's exactly what Jesus left us to do. He left us to go and do the foot washing. He left us to go do the reverse serving. He leaves us to go and and love in the way that he loved us so that by that design, people go, you know, something must be different. Something must be crazily different because this group does something I can't do. And I would like to live like that. I'd like to have that kind of love. I'd like to be with people that are like that. I don't know anybody like that. Love one another means doing whatever is necessary to honor someone whenever it's in your power to honor them. And Jesus said, it's the only way anybody will ever know who I am. And I'm leaving this with you. So the other day, yesterday, Yesterday morning, I was at the Judeo-Christian Outreach Center, and I was talking to some people about how the, the JCOC works, and, and we were serving breakfast to some of the people that had come in off the street, and there was a gentleman sitting there and having breakfast. I said, hey, how are you doing? He said, well, I need, a, I need a coat, and I need some shoes. And, uh, and I looked down at his feet, and he had these raggedy old sneakers that were maybe good six, 12 months ago, and good for the summertime, but not good for the months that were coming up. And, and I did a quick assessment. I did a quick size chart. And I saw his foot's the same size as my foot. And I looked down at my feet and I'm wearing these really nice, almost brand new hiking boots. Question, do I look like a hiker? <laughs> Why do I even have hiking boots? You know, when's the last time I hiked? I hiked to 7-Eleven yesterday. When's the last time I'm hiking? I don't hike. Why do I have brand new, good-looking hiking boots? And God looks down and God says, Simone, you are about not to. I'm going to relieve you of those boots. We're going to take care of that situation where you think you're a hiker right now. And I looked down and I said, oh, no, I can see it coming. And I had a flashback of a service that took place at Willow Creek Community Church maybe 10 years ago where uh, on, on a... Uh, a service that was for young people called Access. They were challenged to leave their shoes that night. Leave their shoes there, walk out barefoot so they could gather up all those shoes and sneakers and boots and everything and, and take them down to inner city Chicago and give them away to needy inner city people. And so that night, hundreds and hundreds, maybe a thousand young men and women in their 20s and 30s left their shoes, walked out barefoot. They took all those shoes and they just gave them away. It's one of those moments that they, they still talk about. And so that flashed to my mind. I said, oh no, here it comes. And I, I, just, I just knew it. And I said, hey, I got these almost kind of new hiking boots. And uh, what size are you? And, and I knew it already. You know. He said, well, 12. And I said, well, yeah, uh, that's the size of my shoes. So uh, I took them off. 
I said, here, try these on. Here, try these on. And he slipped in like hand in a glove, foot in a boot. It was just like, just perfect. And he was all happy. You know, these are pretty neat socks. But, uh, you know, my boots went walking out that door into that chilly morning yesterday. And, you know, for a minute, I just felt funny and weird and you know I'm barefoot everybody else has sneakers or shoes on or boots or whatever and I just have socks on and then I had to walk out to the car and I felt even funnier I'm walking across the gravel and I'm like dancing like this and I had to walk through dirt and I go oh I'm walking through dirt and you know, I'm walking through dirt here and 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 then you know it, it hits me where am I going next I'm just going to buy a pair of shoes next and as goofy as I am I went and I bought a pair of hiking boots and I don't even know why. I have no idea why. So I'm okay. I got, I got shoes. But what I needed to realize in that moment was love one another means doing whatever is necessary to honor someone whenever it's in your power to honor them. It's the litmus test that there is a God to know and follow love one another. This is the answer to the question of why you need to serve in a ministry capacity at church. It's not because, well, you have these gifts and, well, we have this and we're, we're matching you up through a computerized system. It has nothing to do with that at all. It has to do with honoring people. You stepping up to honor people when it's in your power to honor them. Love one another. This is the answer to why we give away Thanksgiving baskets to those in need. It's not like we need some more stuff to do around here. Let's collect some food. Let's buy some turkeys. It's not like we're, we're, we're not busy enough. It's that we need to honor people. We need to honor people. And so we step up and we put these baskets together to give away on, on Friday of this week so that 100 people will come here and we will honor them. Love one another. This is the answer to why the church exists. Because everybody thinks it's smoke and mirrors. And it's not. It's radical truth. It's a reality beyond anything that you can, you can fathom or understand. He came into the world. He went out of the world. He left us as the reflection of himself in the world. There will always be dark nights except for one thing that must be done. Now you know that one thing. Now you know that one thing. Reverse serve. Love in a way that honors what's right in front of your eyes. And then, and then the radical truth is people will believe. Radical truth number seven. Our days require, yes, demand, reverse serving and acts of honor. If you embrace them, you'll survive all your dark nights. But if you don't, dark nights will squeeze your heart as lingering shadows fog your eyes from seeing the one right thing. Fesisti me amabilem. You made me lovable. Heavenly Father, help us not to go back to 90 mile an hour living right after this time. Help us to stop and hear you. 
Help us to hear this, this fullness of your love. Help us to see this most important aspect of what you are trying to teach us. And let us, in moments of grace and understanding the fullness of time, be willing to honor those who right in front of us need your touch. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.